Hello and welcome to another exciting show of Tech Talk. This is Arye Lightstone. Uh, we're here and extremely excited to share with you today two very important and exciting guests, really industry leaders, uh, as we always have them here on Tech Talk, really at the very cutting edge of what's going on in the world. We're here on JM and the AM, NachumSiegel.com, sponsored, as always, by Adorama.com. It just happens to be in the afterglow of Hanukkah, uh, Thanksgiving as well. That uh, around uh, you know the exchange of a couple of the gifts in the office uh, this week, there were a lot of exciting things from Adorama. And uh, another shout out to them, Adorama.com. You can find them 42nd West 18th Street, New York, New York. And I know that a lot of people in my office were really excited with some of the gizmos and gadgets that uh, they wound up getting this week from Adorama uh, in honor of such a special holiday, Hanukkah. Anyways, we're here on Tech Talk, and uh, you know there's so much in the news with so many different exciting almost adventurous, and I think that's sort of what separates the the world of tech, the world of entrepreneurism from what I would call more traditional business approaches, that uh, when you sit with somebody and you discuss how the journey starts and where they anticipated the journey ending, it seems to be that there are lots of uh, twisty roads on the way, and one of the key methods or one of the key attributes for many of the entrepreneurs that we've spoken to in terms of success is resiliency. It's resiliency because it's very difficult to figure out when to admit that you were wrong. And if you keep trying to get to the end goal that you were originally intending and discover that that might not have been the end goal that you should actually be getting to, that, uh, you know, there's a tremendous amount of strength and a tremendous amount of courage of conviction in order to actually admit that, uh, that the goal that you were heading to uh, was not the right goal in the first place and to be able to be agile and to adjust and to wind up somehow in the right place. And today we're going to speak to two entrepreneurs uh, who I think have been able to demonstrate and represent that as uh, at least one of their defining character traits. So you're looking, you are listening today to a exciting show on Tech Talk. Again, this is your host Arya Lightstone. Uh, one of the more interesting pieces in the news today, with uh, all of the uh, hullabaloo going on, if that's the appropriate uh, definition in terms of Israel. And we spoke a little bit uh, two weeks ago about the potential for brain drain if there isn't a lasting security in the land of Israel and why people would potentially be, be leaving. You know, you said, and, and there were numerous different articles today uh, and earlier this week posted by sort of one of the next uh, frontiers in terms of tech. And one of them that I never would have thought of, uh, which was incredibly interesting, and we're trying to get on a couple guests maybe next week, if not the week after, to discuss this with is tech in agriculture something that you wouldn't necessarily have anticipated, but something that once again is being pioneered from Israel. We've all heard or have understood some of the uh, creativity and ingenuity involved with the water issues. And, and the last night of Hanukkah, there was another miracle uh, in Israel. I think uh, that uh, uh, the Twitterverse exploded by a lot of the commentators in Israel that uh, when John uh, Kerry landed and the front page of the paper spoke about not the Secretary of State, of America coming again to Israel to do whatever he's there to do, but rather speaking about the first rain of the season and snow on the Hermon, that's a pretty exciting thing. And it uh, it does bring you back to the roots and the basics of the land. And the basics of the land uh, certainly have to go to agriculture. So it was no surprise that uh, later on in many different articles in uh, the Jerusalem Post and elsewhere, they discussed one of the new um, frontiers in technology is really in agriculture, which, again, I think was was and is fascinating, and I'm excited to hear about where those next um, adventures might take uh, might take those pioneers uh, in tech. So just speaking of, of which, uh, we were sitting uh, one of the nights of Hanukkah. I was blessed. We had my parents and, and my brother and sister-in-law and sister around the table, and we were discussing the misadventures of men in the grocery stores and uh, you know how we get sent to go buy whatever it would be that we were buying and, and wind up taking twice the amount of time and spending three times the amount of money. And, uh, you know, we were debating which type of app to potentially create that would make this a much more simple um, situation. And, uh, you know, we, we discussed that it would be one that, uh, that you know, would pick the aisle that you have to be in and, and program the amount of time that it would take you to get in and out. And, you know, my brother brought out his iPhone and discovered that there are four different apps that already do that, which was pretty cool. So just one thing to be, I think, aware of in the world of tech is that 
as you're thinking of an idea, it, it's important to research what's out there. It's important to see what uh, what does exist. And I think it's also equally important to figure out that not to be discouraged if you find something out there that is similar to the idea that you came up with. Uh, see what you can tweak, see what you can adjust, see what you can refine, and see then how that would make it more applicable or more useful for you. And I think we're going to hear a little bit about that from our guests that we've got coming up today. It's, again, taking a windy road to get to not necessarily where you planned, but to be able to find some success uh, moving forward. And that was sort of the highlight of one of our Hanukkah meals was we had come up with this plan, what we thought at that point in time was our great plan, and then discovered that uh, that had already been created to some degree. And then our goal was to figure out how we can tweak it, how we could refine it in order to create something that would be more useful, perhaps more applicable for us. So again, that's uh, you know just a, just a thought as as I delve deeper and deeper into the world of tech and the world of entrepreneurism and, and innovation is, uh, firstly, don't get discouraged. Secondly, when the opportunity is there, even if there's something that looks similar to what you're looking at, it, it, it's very, I don't want to say easy, but it's uh, don't get discouraged. You can find ways to refine and, and adapt things uh, instead of reinventing the wheel completely and totally from scratch. Our first guest that we're going to have on shortly is a phenomenal young man calling in from Chicago. His name is Noah Mishkin, and uh, we're going to learn a little bit about Noah when he calls in, but uh, something interesting to note, we've had a lot of different guests on from a fair amount of different backgrounds. Uh, this is a background that we haven't yet uh, had the privilege of experiencing. Once he gets on the line, I'll, I'll say the background because I don't want him to have to hear it twice. Uh, once again, you're listening to Tech Talk here with Arya Lightstone, uh, hosted by Jam and the M. You can listen to us at NahumSiegel.com. We are sponsored today, as all of the Tech Talk shows, by Adorama.com. And again, I would really encourage uh, all of our listeners out there to have a look at what they sell on Adorama. It really is much more than a camera store. And if you have an opportunity, and if you're in New York City, go over on uh, 42nd West 18th Street and to stop in the store. I think you'll find them friendly and you'll find them incredi- incredibly helpful. So again, uh, remember our sponsors, Adorama and Adorama.com. So we're here on Tech Talk today looking to speak to a couple of innovators in a couple of different fields. And we spoke about in the past uh, a lot about education technology, uh, which has been, I think, incredibly exciting, mostly because that there is an end user that we can all think about. We've all been beneficiaries of some type of education technology. I think one of the more interesting components of it is that while it's a many billion dollar industry uh, and that there are users quite literally being produced and part of the system each and every year, there hasn't been a a successful pricing model that has been uniformly adopted. So, for example, we spoke about several weeks ago, Khan Academy, uh, khanacademy.org. If you're listening out there and you haven't checked out khanacademy.org yet, I, I strongly recommend it. As for Hanukkah for my five-year-old, uh, we went home and we set him up with one of these Khan Academy accounts and, and doing math for a five-year-old. It is fun. Most things for a five-year-old, I think, are fun. But he has found this to be incredibly exciting and enriching in ways that school can't necessarily be on an individualized basis. You get your own account, you get your own login number and, and name, and you're able to go ahead and to develop courses, to develop and to, and to proceed along courses at your own pace, which, uh, you know, I think we, we spend a lot of time at home doing a lot of different things that can be enriching and, unfortunately, probably a lot of things that aren't nearly as enriching. So it's it's important and incumbent upon us to be aware of some of the things that are out there, and you should really be checking out conacademy.org if you have kids. And if you don't have kids, for you to challenge yourself to keep thinking, to keep growing, to increase your math skills, and they've got science and and numerous other subjects is important. Why do I bring up Khan Academy other than the fact that I think it's important that you have a chance to, uh, to look at it and to see what it's like and to see how you can use it? I bring it up because I think it's important to know, I think it's really important to know, that uh, Khan Academy is free, and it's an interesting concept. They've got 400 million lessons learned, uh, and the pricing model is free. I I don't know how many things that are out there that have that type of pricing model um, and uh, have that type of uh, amount of people that are involved, uh, and they haven't blitzed the advertising. Just recently, I saw some form of partnership with Khan Academy, and I believe it's Bank of America, and I look forward on future tech talks to maybe discussing what their future business model is, because I think that that's you know, both incredibly interesting and, and potentially intriguing. You've got a captured market. It's interesting to see what will become of that captured market. Uh, not that different than, you know, 
Facebook, which the IPO was now many, many moons ago, uh, and Twitter, which was very recent, you have a captive market. You've got users of a platform. The question is, what do we do uh, with those users on the platform? So just as we're about to discuss with Noah Mishkin, his startup venture and his um, foray into entrepreneurialism, I'm just going to recite his bio because I think it's important to understand who our guest is before he calls in. So Noah Mishkin graduated with a degree in architecture from the Wentworth Institute of Technology. He has both a bachelor's and a master's degree in architecture. And uh, Noah worked for a Chicago-based design firm practicing architecture in both residential and commercial applications. After working in the field for several years, Noah found a strong connection linking architectural design and advertising the way we live, prompting him to shift career paths and focus on strategic development of digital media. So he left being a practicing architect, as I understand, and became the founder and director of accounts at Craftjack Incorporated. Noah, are you there? I am. How are you doing? Noah, thank you so much for joining us today. It's uh, really a privilege and a pleasure. Uh, welcome to the Nahum Siegel Network. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to be here. Uh, so I just had a chance, I don't know, you were just, just calling in at that point in time to read a little bit of your bio and a little bit of your background. Can, can you tell us, you know, what was, you know, I, it's funny, we, we just bought my five-year-old a bunch of different Lego sets, and I'm sorry to bring up my kids several times in the first six minutes of a show, but, you know, it's the, what rings the most true to me. And, and he came down one morning and said, I just want to be a builder when I grow up, which I thought was pretty exciting. H- how did you first get into architecture? Uh, I kind of, uh, I guess I started with Legos like everyone else. <laughs> um, Lincoln Logs, uh, all the usual. But uh, really, I guess it came down to uh, witnessing a few different construction projects as a kid, uh, being very interested not just in the in the building itself, but in the design aspect. Uh, and so uh, all that kind of lended towards uh, piquing my interest at an early age. Uh, and then shortly into college, I kind of decided to focus in on architecture. I switched my major. Um, you know, went in for the long haul and uh, really got into it. It was a phenomenal uh, education program I had at uh, Wentworth in Boston. Uh, it's just a great institution, and uh, I really enjoyed being part of that. It's it kind of an interesting balance between the sciences of the physics and and the math, as well as the arts of the drawing and the conceptual design phase. So kind right. of an interesting balance there. So when you sent me over your bio, I did a little research on on the institute that uh, that you attend, and it seems to be out of the couple of architectural uh, degrees that that I've been able to research that it focuses exactly on that blend, the the science and, if you will, the art uh, of architecture. And you know what struck me as really interesting to see sort of where you went there is how rigorous and intense both the bachelor's and the master's program uh, are and, and or were and are. Uh, can you tell me about sort of like what that life was like as a student? Oh, it's one that I wouldn't necessarily recommend to any, any person who's sane. Um, and if you are sane, you certainly won't come out being uh, the same. But uh, it's, it's a pretty intense program. The undergraduate program is a, a five-and-a-half-year program itself. Wow. Um, and, uh, and then an additional master's if you choose. Um, it's a you know professional degree, so the master's is only kind of a value add if you want that. But uh, I decided to go back to that as well. The, the program itself is, is kind of interesting, where as I was mentioning before, that uh, dichotomy between the um, the struggling between both the sciences and the arts itself. The program, as an architectural undergraduate student, you, you would probably anticipate spending uh, pretty much 24 hours a day in your studio. Uh, I had a bed there, so I, I pretty much lived there, even though I had an apartment. Uh, off campus, but uh, you, you really focus in every semester you have your design course, which is a, a, a course of where you're focusing on some sort of aspect of design. Uh, you have some sort of concept that you're building off of all semester, and that's the primary focus of your studies for the semester, even though you have obviously, you know, several other courses that you're taking simultaneously, whether they're uh, general education courses or um, or other electives or, or requirements within architecture. It could be anything in history or arts. Um, but your design is, is really what you focus in throughout your, your, your coursework uh, all five and a half years. Every semester is a different design uh, studio which you participate in. Um, and it culminates at the end with uh, some large presentation that you, that you, that you deliver that finally you've been working on all semester. Uh, throughout the semester, you have a regular uh, critique, uh, also known as a crit, uh, whereby uh, you would uh, pin up your work, your hand drawings, as well as physical models you've created, and you really get 
reamed out and blasted by by your peers as well as uh, architects who come to sit on the panel and, and evaluate you. And they, let me tell you, they're ruthless. They will tell you when you're not doing something well. Uh, and if you think you're doing something well, they will question as to why you think you're doing well. So I'll tell you the one thing I got out of my education that I think helped me transition into business specifically was uh, the architectural program as a student taught you how to focus on thinking creatively, how to think conceptually, meaning that every single thing you do should have a purpose, should have a concept behind it, something to support the reason uh, for, for actually creating that, for following in that direction. So even if you have a line this way or you chose a color palette of this, it has to have a reason and a concept. And I found that in business to really uh, transition and translate very well for me because it's not just saying, well, I want to do this. Well, why am I doing this? What's the purpose? What's the goal? And so uh, my, the rigorous kind of coursework and, and critique that I, I received as a student during those uh, six to seven years was really helpful, um, I guess, in becoming a person. Right. I'm sure that that was incredibly instrumental in the maturation process. What what I'm most curious about, first of all, you know, the, the rigors of school, I think, it, it, is a building um, stage for for a person, and I, I think that's certainly correct, and, and I appreciate hearing that. What what was it like with your fellow students? Was it a sense of cutthroat competition, or was there a sense of camaraderie, knowing that you guys were all going through this uh, incredibly challenging time? Uh, the camaraderie was actually pretty unbelievable. Uh, it's kind of like misery loves company. Everyone's in the same sinking boat, where it, it, it's kind of awkward, and, and it gets uncomfortable sometimes when you're sitting uh, in a room full of your peers watching one of your, your fellow uh, uh, colleagues being uh, evaluated maybe harshly by a, a professor or a visiting architect as a critique mm-hmm. is going on. And so you kind of have a sense of, of uh, a sympathy or more empathy, really, where you, you've been there. You've gone through that, and so you understand. So the camaraderie is pretty amazing where you spend 24 hours a day in your studio almost with with your peers, and there's a, a, a really strong sense of, you know, what can I do to help you? What are you struggling on that I can, that I can assist you on, either physically or just, you know, mentoring you? Um, if I didn't understand how to use color or if I didn't understand how to create a model with different materials, uh, I can turn around and ask anyone, and they'd be more than happy to, to give me their experience of what they've accomplished. And so it's, it's a really amazing program, and, and you get that both because uh, it's such an intense program, and you also get that because you spend – all day and all night with these people, and, and they become really your family in school. That's, uh, you know, we've heard a common theme when speaking to some of the Israeli entrepreneurs that the Army experience, and not to compare the two, uh, you know, they are apples and oranges, but they're very intense experiences where there is uh, some level of adversity that one has to overcome, and uh, and many of those entrepreneurs have likened that uh, level of camaraderie to their ability to go into a startup where you have to trust somebody, where you have to uh, partner and, and work with and understand your strengths and somebody else's. And it sounds like you had a fairly similar experience in, in architecture school. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, as a startup um, company, uh, being a part of, of any kind of team, I mean, you can see this whenever you talk to any kind of entrepreneur who's uh, either starting up or has been successful in some um, past project. Uh, the important thing is to build a team that can um, support one another and, and focus in on, on various uh, specialty skills. So, you know, when you're when you're developing a company, you want to find somebody who's going to be your your CTO, who's going to be your programmer, who's really sharp. You also want to find somebody who's going to be great at, at selling your product. And then there's you know the the development aspect. So you build a, a, a you know an all star team. The same thing in, in architecture school, and that's kind of where I got that from. Where uh, whenever you have any kind of group project, you, you figure out who's good at what and what you need help on. And you build that kind of uh, all-star team to, to make it happen. Not everyone's going to be amazing at every aspect, but it's about you know working together to to have one common goal. And that's the same thing in any kind of business, any kind of startup, uh, any kind of successful business that's been around for a long time. It's it's creating that uh, a panel of experience and expertise that can lend towards a really one one unanimous goal together. You know, Noah, we're on the Nachum Siegel Network. You can listen to us at NachumSiegel.com, JM and the AM. We're sponsored by Adorama. You can find them at Adorama.com or come visit their store on 42nd West 18th Street here in New York City. This is Tech Talk with Ari Leitzman. We have a guest, Noah Mishkin, on calling from Chicago. You finished and went through this arduous schooling process. Um, based upon speaking to you, you probably graduated number one or two or whatever it is in your class, and you go into to work in design, and you did that for how many years? 
I worked for a couple of years in Boston before moving to Chicago. I worked mm-hmm. here in Chicago for another two and a half years before, uh, um, you know, leaving to start uh, Craft Jack, which uh, we can get to in a minute. But uh, I, it's interesting that uh, maybe about a year into my architecture uh, profession, I kind of had a feeling that I wanted to do something different. Um, but as I devoted a lot of time and, and, and money into my uh, education, I wanted to make sure that uh, leaving the profession, at least for now, was something that I was serious about. So I, I took another year, year and a half to really make that decision. Um, so six, it's at six. that point that uh, a good friend of mine that I grew up with, Ross Gordon, mm-hmm. uh, here in Chicago, he, he had something that he was starting, some ideas. And it was interesting enough to me that, that I thought that uh, it would be worthwhile pursuing. And that's where we kind of um, came together. So walk me through your thought process for one moment. Six years, seven years of, of very intense schooling. Uh, something that you, you know, you developed a love of with Legos and Lincoln Logs and construction sites, etc. You're working for a year, year and a half or so, and you say, hang on one second, maybe this isn't for me, but you, you gutted it out in order to experience, you know, more of it. What, what was it like in your mind at that point in time saying, oh my goodness? It was a little daunting. Uh, I mean, when you when you think in one mode, one direction for such a long time, in this case, architecture was something I was thinking about since high school, probably more seriously since uh, um, after I, I moved back home from my year in Israel, uh, I got a little uh, more deep into thinking about architecture. But it really was about a, a good 10 years that I was thinking architecture, 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 and that was like... That was my lexicon. That was that was the verbiage I was speaking with uh, all day to everyone um, in my program, and and uh, it was kind of a, a strong identity for myself. You know, there aren't a lot of architects where I live, and and so uh, in our community at least, and so uh, it, it was a, a very identifiable uh, marker for myself of who I was as, as uh, an identity. Sure. So moving away from that was actually uh, more emotionally difficult than than anything else. Um, but uh, to me, I had a, a real epiphany uh, through a, a mentor of mine that, that I realized you know, life's too short to not enjoy 100% what you do every day. You spend more time at work than you do at home with your family. So uh, if you're going to work, you, you better really like what you do, and you really should be passionate about that. And while I'm passionate about architecture, I wasn't passionate about the, the work I was doing on a daily basis. Um, and so that was almost a really easy decision to make. Um, uh, daunting to get out of the, the the mode of thought that I had for so long, but easy to make that kind of life decision. Um, so uh, you know, it was scary. It was also scary leaving a, a very uh, safe job, a job that that was um, really good for me during the middle of a recession, um, when especially in my industry in architecture, something like eighty percent of all architects were laid off at that time. So, like, to give up a job that was pretty steady was uh, also daunting, and put on top of that, joining a startup. Right, so. right. <laughs> That's a, I, you know, you have a pivot, you know, in your life, and I'm sure many of us have many different pivots in our life, and to be able to have the guts and the intestinal fortitude to go with that, I think you, you phrased it very profoundly that, uh, you know, even if you're passionate about it, you spend more time at work than you do at home, and it's incredibly important that uh, that not only you're passionate, but you're really in love and, and, and love what you do. So so tell me, you know Ross from growing up, and, and what is Craft Jack? How did, how did he pick you? How did you pick him? How did that partnership begin to evolve? It was pretty interesting that the, at the very beginning, uh, Ross himself, he was a, a copywriter, um, a creative copywriter for Leo Burnett, um, you know, a big advertising agency. So he was working on some pretty high-class, um, uh, well-known campaigns, and uh, he's a very creative person. Um, I saw that uh, in high school when we started playing guitar together. Uh, he just picked it up after me, but blew right past me very quickly. So he's a very creative person uh, uh, by intuition, and so he uh, he he was doing some really amazing work uh, at the ad agency. And on the side, kind of researching some affiliate marketing opportunities. Uh, one of the things he started just researching was the home improvement industry. Uh, found that it, it was a, a good uh, industry to at least um, test out in his own uh, ability to generate any kind of uh, leads and referrals. Uh, after really working on that for a little bit, he found that it, it was uh, he was really making as much money doing that on the side as he was in his main job. And he took his own his own leap of faith with himself, um, which I give him a lot of credit for, to quit his job and start doing affiliate marketing uh, full time. 
Uh, at that point, he was also, in order to subsidize some of his costs, he was also using his, his, uh, his own background knowledge of advertising and branding to do some just independent work, uh, helping startup companies, smaller companies, uh, build brand, advertise, uh, and web development. And so he, he was doing that on the side and he would oftentimes, uh, come to me and say, Hey, what do you think of these, these creative concepts? And that kind of lends itself back to my, my education, which is, Building off of concepts, always thinking conceptually is what does this mean? How does this, how does this uh, affect the brand? How does this affect uh, uh, the process of itself? So, uh, he would pass along some either web design or, or logo design and creative copy to me and say, what, what are your thoughts? Anyway, after a while of that, uh, I thought it was pretty interesting, this kind of stuff that he was doing. We started talking and, um, it seemed like uh, it might be a good fit. Uh, he was looking to really develop the business a little further into what it's now, and so he also needed somebody to manage all sales and accounts. Um, so after talking, it's funny. I was actually in uh, in New York, um, upstate. I was in uh, the Catskills on a vacation. I came back and uh, went straight to a wedding from the airport, and he was there, and we spent the whole time basically just talking um, over a couple drinks about business and about what our visions were. And it was within, I don't know, a week or two that, that we really decided to, to, to go in on this. And, uh, he, he, he hired me straight out of my, my firm. I gave him my two week notice. Uh, I immediately, uh, contracted West Nile virus, <laughs> which is not a great way to start your job. Um, and, uh, I was out of commission for a while. I mean, I was working, but I was pretty loopy. Um, and, uh, but it was right into that that we, we, we jumped out of the gate into the sales process. So he, he went from really just being an affiliate marketer to generating leads in uh, the home improvement painting industry and seeing what he can do with those leads. Because before, as an affiliate marketer, he just generated the leads and then wholesaled them out. Right. But after uh, researching the industry of, of lead generation, specifically in this market, uh, he was he himself had heard a lot of feedback that was negative uh, from the contractors on various forums, blogs, websites, and, and felt like, well, there's something that can be done better. And that's how all business starts. It's not necessarily, you know, a lot of the mistakes that people make when they're, they want to do something on the side or want to create their own business is they say, um, what can I do? You know, what's a great idea? Well, that's, that's one way to look at it. But in my opinion, the better way to look at it is what is out there that is not being done well or where is there a void or what can be done better? And then, and then you see how your own talent, skills, and, and, and thought process can line up with some of that. And that was exactly what Ross did, which was, see a gap in the industry, see some things that he knew he could he could do better on. And so his thought was instead of just wholesaling all his leads out, let's just start creating our own network of, of home improvement contractors. So that's where I came in. Um, I was uh, the director of accounts and marketing and advertising or I'm sorry and uh, sales for him. Uh, so I would come and do all the all the the cold calls, um, making the connections, start signing up these contractors to test our leads, to test our, our referral network and uh uh, it, it kind of it was a slow, steady start, but um, we saw a nice, modest growth. And a lot of things that oftentimes in, in, in startup business, you grow faster than you can handle. Uh, and uh, we were blessed that we did grow too fast, but just enough to kind of cover our bases and understand what we were doing in a really appropriate timeline. So uh, we spent, this is 2009, we spent uh, about a year and a half developing uh, our business into what it is today, which is CraftJack. And over the last uh, two and a half years, uh, really refining that, offering more features, more trades besides painting. We're now in like a lot of other home improvement industries um, and trades. And so uh, we're expanding that all the time. Now, the other half besides advertising that we do um, and lead generation is software development. So one of the things that we were seeing is contractors today, a lot of times are really operating their business the same way they were doing it 20, 30 years ago. They get a lead, they, they write it down on a piece of paper, they print out an email, they print out a fax, whatever it is, they're keeping track of their leads, um, uh, paper and pen, uh, sometimes out of their truck, sometimes out of a, a filing cabinet, or their email. And it's just not an effective way to manage your business. And if I ask most home improvement contractors, what was your, what was your close ratio or what was your ROI from, from, you know, Q3? They either say, I don't know, or they would say, well, give me a couple of days, let me get back to you. Right. So, a lot of contractors out there, and this is just because of, you know, what, what it is. They're, they kind of got, a lot of these guys got into the business because they were good at their trade. They have a wonderful skill set, 
Um, and they became business owners just because, you know, they didn't seek out to start a business. They just kind of did their trade and they were, they're awesome people. Um, but they're, they're not utilizing some of the business tools that a lot of, you know, MBAs or, or large businesses use, which is one, one matter is a CRM, a customer relation management software. Sure. So you need to get a lead and let's just say the person says, yeah, I'm not ready right now. Call me next spring. Well, they, you got to hope that either you remember, you put it in your calendar or something. But we wanted to offer a CRM that was really boiled down for the industry. And there's a lot out there to choose from. A lot of them are really fantastic pieces of software. But um, myself as a somewhat of a tech-savvy guy uh, and Ross, who is very tech-savvy, we found some of these CRMs to be just overloaded with features. And it was actually difficult for us to get it to do what we wanted it to do. So I can't imagine somebody who's just trying to start a business or doesn't have any kind of business or, or technology uh, um, education or training to try to get into this. So we felt like we should create uh, a, a lead manager, essentially, for these contractors that was built for them, for their industry, that would help them out. So that's kind of the other half of our business, what we did, was we created the CraftCheck lead manager, which is uh, the ability for our contractors to, to manage all of their past leads, uh, create follow-up reminders, um, integrate it with any kind of uh, marketing campaigns that they have, um, and also track their close ratio and, and, and job one uh, and, and ROI too, which is pretty phenomenal. So, no, I have to tell you. So, first of all, uh, you know, we're on the JM and the AM, Nachum Siegel Network. You can listen to NachumSiegel.com. We're on Tech Talk with R.E. Lightstone, sponsored by Adorama Camera. You can find them at Adorama Camera, uh, Adorama.com or at their uh, store 42nd, West 18th Street here in New York City. We're privileged, and it's really a pleasure to have Noah Michigan on from Chicago with Craft Jack. Um, I'll tell you, the last six minutes' worth of information, I think, can probably teach an executive MBA uh, class because each one of those nuggets can be drilled down and, and learn so much from. Let me just see from a high level if, if I'm understanding what, what you and Ross have been able to do, and then I want to hear a little bit about maybe some of the challenges, maybe where a little bit the future goes, uh, and maybe some messages for some other, uh, you know, budding entrepreneurs that might be listening. Um, you essentially, you and Ross together came in and found that uh, that uh, for lead generation, that there was a niche that you guys could do in a different way than traditionally lead generation had been done before, starting in painting and expanding that uh, to numerous different parts of home improvement and home contracting, and then discovered that, hey, once you've got the attention of the home contractors, uh, how can you help them? And while there were many different customer relationship management softwares that were out there, none actually made all that much sense for this particular both type of person as well as type of profession that this person would normally be in. And so you went and refined and perfected that for them as well. Do, did I understand that correctly? You got it. You got it. So the, the first question that I have for you before we get into everything else is, look, you know, being an architect in Chicago is is – to me is, is in most of our communities is sort of like, wow, that's interesting. It's a little bit unique. Chicago's known for a lot of different things. Uh, maybe not so much the Bears this year, the Cubs a little bit, but not necessarily for the right reasons. Blackhawks have been pretty good, I think. Um, <laughs> certainly Romanian and Hungarian, but we don't need to get into that at this, uh, at this exact moment. Um, startups is not what Chicago is known for. Uh, you know, what, what was it, to the best of my knowledge, what was it like you know, sort of pivoting both you and Ross from from two very distinguished careers and and sort of that 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 name uh, profession that you guys had established for yourselves, and then to go into this, how, how did that work? Just even in a basic conversation, whether you know it was at the grocery store or you know uh, with your friends or at the synagogue. It was bizarre. It was a bizarre transition. Um, and you're right. Most of the most of the tech startup companies are, are formulating in in on the West Coast, on the East Coast. Uh, and we're right smack in the middle, which is kind of actually a nice thing because we can get to the East Coast and the West Coast very easily. Um, uh, and I, I know that Illinois, Chicago specifically, is really in the last five years and, and pushing forward, been trying to create a tech hub here. Um, uh, they're they're slowly becoming successful with that uh, through various avenues um, and and other you know, offerings. But um, it's a decent sized startup, obviously not compared to the East or West Coast, but. In and of itself, we see a lot of innovation, and we're feeding off that ourselves. Uh, we started off when we were when we were creating the business and growing it. We started uh, attending a lot of these uh, technology startup uh, conferences and seminars. Uh, some of it was to learn from from entrepreneurs and who were successful themselves, 
and other other ways we want to network with other people, uh, not necessarily to do business, at least just to talk about, you know, again, what was they were finding successful, what their challenges were, uh, and just to, to find a community for ourselves here. And, and we did, and we found that we were seeing a lot of the same people at, at the convention, but also meeting new people that were doing very interesting things at various conventions, too. Um, we learned from a lot of interesting people as well. Uh, that being said, Chicago is a great city. I uh, love it, and as a former architect myself, and I guess I currently am technically, but uh, Chicago is known for its architecture, and uh, uh, that was one of the difficult things, as I said before, it was more of an emotional uh, connection that I had to it, uh, and so it, 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 it's, I'm saddened that when somebody asks me, what do you do? I, I can't say, oh, I'm an architect. That's, that's what I do, because uh, I did love architecture, and I do associate with that on some level. Uh, however, as we started our, our, our business at Craftjack here, uh, when somebody comes up to us and asks, you know, what do you do? I got to always kind of figure out who is this person, what are they going to understand, and what are they going to want to know? And uh, usually I tell them, you know, we do advertising for home improvement contractors. Um, that being said, you know, to friends and family, uh, I'm sure there were some that were skeptical at first, and, and you know, I, I could definitely appreciate that. Uh, I think there's something like less than uh, 5% of, tech, of startup companies actually succeed and we've been lucky enough to do so. So, um, you know, going into that, when somebody was asking us early on, what do you guys do? It was, it was a little bit of a difficult conversation. You know, how do we kind of explain this? But we got pretty good at that. And uh, we're actually very proud of not just what we've accomplished, uh, but uh, feeling like uh, we're part of a really interesting culture and, and, and community here in Chicago within the tech startup um, industry here. It's it's a pretty amazing culture. And, and the, uh, the people here are, are really... Uh, they're really fighting hard and struggling, and that's great to see because you know if it comes easy, then it's not going to be appreciated. And so we see people uh, working and, and doing some really amazing things here. And it sounds like there's a common denominator in between a couple of your comments. You know, back through architecture school, uh, the camaraderie, the challenges, the opportunity to succeed where other people wouldn't necessarily do it. And again, in Chicago, where it's not necessarily what people think of when they think of Chicago, but you found the community, you've worked with the community, and developed that camaraderie. Uh, that exists there also. Uh, so, uh, you know, Noah, this has been, you know, uh, very exciting for uh, for me to listen and to hear. Uh, before I ask you about sort of what your biggest challenge have been and sort of where you see Craft Jack going, because I'd like the audience to be able to hear that, um, can you give just a 30-second pitch of how Craft Jack could be useful to any of our audience that's listening out there, be it in New York or all over the world? Absolutely. So, uh what I can say really quickly about Craftjack is for the home for the home consumer, uh, as a homeowner yourself or anyone out there, uh, one of the nice things that we can offer is that when you come to our site uh, or any of our, our websites out there looking for any kind of home improvement contractor, we can offer up to four uh, home improvement contractors who can get in touch with you to give you free estimates and quotes. And it's, it's free to the consumer. Uh, there's a lot of other uh, companies out there that do similar things to us, uh, maybe operate a little differently, and, and some of them cost. Uh, something, a uh, subscription or something to a consumer. Uh, for us, it, uh, in our business at Craftcheck, it, it's free. We want to make sure that uh, we can find you professionals that are going to help you out and, and, and give you exactly what you need. Uh, and you can find side, that you can find that at craftjack.com. Good. So that's for all homeowners out there who are looking to maybe uh, you know uh, do some improvements to their homes. Uh, and for, on the contractor side, Noah. Yeah, from the contractor side, uh, it's a pretty amazing um, offering that we have. That, uh, I mean, obviously, I love it. Uh, one of the things that we're doing is we're using – we've implemented several uh, technologies into our our screening process so we can kind of qualify our leads that come in a little better than perhaps some of the competition or what we may have been doing even ourselves before this uh, to verify that, you know, these are good leads. Uh, on average, you're going to be getting in touch with most of these homeowners and, and setting up some good estimates there and, and winning some projects. And we also offer great competitive uh, pricing. And one of the things that, that we offer contractors besides our lead manager, which is the ability for you to manage all your, your contacts and, and follow-ups, um, we also offer uh, heavy discounts for our, for our pricing on, on leads themselves. One of the things that we thought of is, you know, a lot of companies, including ourselves before, uh, they offer one price for the lead, and it doesn't matter really how many contractors receive that lead um, obviously up to whatever number of contractors that company set, says they'll send it to, we've kind of felt like, well, it doesn't really make sense. If you're the only contractor getting a lead, you, you should be paying a different price than if you were competing with, you know, two or three other contractors. So we've adjusted that recently. We now offer what's called a fair pricing model, which is uh, for every additional contractor up to three besides yourself that received that lead, you get 10% off for each one. 
um, and, and so that way you're not paying as much if you are competing. Uh, it's we kind of feel like that's a fair price, which is why we named it as such. Um, and then we also, and this is, goes into kind of uh, uh, our industry and how we're trying to improve it, is um, if you call a lead, a homeowner that you receive within 30 minutes of being matched with that homeowner, you get another 10% off. Uh, we want to kind of incentivize contractors to, to follow up right away uh, because we've, we've seen the research that's been done and we know what it takes to actually get those jobs lined up and calling fast is the number one way to get those jobs. And so we're offering a discount to, to help contractors uh, not just uh, save some money but also um, find better results on their leads. Noah, uh, you know, this has been incredibly informative, certainly to me. I'm, I'm positive for my audience as well. Um, I just have to tell you, just with the timing and, and sort of time ran away from me because, you know, everything that you've been explaining, I, I would like to go back and do a whole show on what it was like to be in architecture school and the camaraderie and, and what it was like to, you know, have everything that you've done be questioned and, and reevaluated and recalibrated, et cetera, because I think that's one of the refining moments, at least hearing you, in terms of what's made you into an astute business person able to, you know, conquer the challenges of a startup in a city that's not necessarily known yet for startups. Um, can we get a, a soft commitment to have you back on the show so we can discuss a little bit more in the future? Absolutely, for sure. Anytime you want. I'm, uh, I'd love to talk about it. Like I said, I'm very passionate about what we do, and uh, perhaps that's, you know, why, why we're doing okay here is because, you know, we really love what we do, and that's important. So if we can walk away at least with uh, with a couple different ideas, it's passion is a, is a critical ingredient for anything that you do, whether it's school or certainly work, because that's where we're spending the majority of our time. Uh, you can find Noah and his company at craftjack.com. If you're a contractor, if you're a homeowner, I strongly encourage you to get a chance to see what uh, what Noah and Ross have created. Uh, I spent a little bit of time playing around on uh, on their site earlier today and immediately sent it to my wife as we're considering doing a little bit of work. So, uh <laughs> Uh, you know, we, we wish you all, all the best, and, and I'm excited to have you and, and hopefully even Ross back to have a, a conversation because we always like to get into the concept of what makes a good partnership, and it sounds like this started with playing a little bit of guitar back in high school and now to being uh, leading entrepreneurs in, in Chicago, and that's really exciting. I, I really appreciate you being on the show today, Noah. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great evening. Thank you, Noah. You too. Bye-bye. Uh, we're listening, we are on Tech Talk here. You're listening to R.E. Lightstone, just joined now by uh, Michael Fragan as well. Hi, Michael. How are you? R.E., good morning. How are you? It is It is nice to be spending quality time with you. We are very excited to uh, be sponsored by Adorama. Uh, you can find them at adorama.com. Find them in the city at their store on 42nd West 18th Street. You are listening to Jam in the M on NahumSiegel.com. We have a guest with us calling from Israel right now, Ariel Davis. Ariel, are you there? Hi, Ariel. Hi, Ariel. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing great. We really appreciate you making the effort to, to be on the phone. Um, we've always tried within Tech Talk not only to speak about innovation, creativity, uh, but where possible we've tried to tie it into Israel because not only is Israel, you know, sort of on the cutting edge of so many different technologies that are happening, but we think it's important here on the Nachum Siegel Network uh, to be able to, where possible, tie things into, you know, uh, Israel where, where it makes sense, and this is certainly a place where it's not a stretch. Um, you know, I've known you for, for an awful long time, and, uh, and it's really a pleasure to have you, have you on the phone. Can you give our audience just a little bit of background, sort of how you made it to, I believe, Sha'alvim now? Uh, yeah, absolutely. First of all, I'm, I'm very happy to be here, Aryeh. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, it's no problem at all. I'm, you know, here helping my wife uh, cook for Shabbos. And um, let's see, yeah, I'm, I'm in Shalvim now. That's, uh, some, some of your listeners might know it uh, because there's a yeshiva here. Um, actually, before there was a yeshiva, there was a kibbutz. Um, and uh, kibbutz Shalvim has been around since 1951 when it was, uh, I guess, on, on the border of what was then uh, you know, Israel and, and Jordan. Now it's kind of uh, in the middle of the country. Um, and uh, what a lot of the kibbutzim here are doing is they are they're taking some of their land um, that in the past has been used for agriculture, and as a lot of the economy is kind of shifting, um, they are they're building new neighborhoods uh, for residential neighborhoods, and so here they built 113 uh, new units uh, that have just been. 
uh, populated over the last year or two, and so we moved in here to this new neighborhood. Um, and thank God, we're very happy here so far. And, and prior to moving to Shalom, just give our listeners a you know ninety second you know how you went from Oceanside to to living in Shalom and, and working as an attorney, very involved in in some of the the burgeoning economy in Israel, tech and otherwise. Absolutely, I, I grew up in Oceanside, which I guess is not that far from uh, from from you in the five towns. Um, I grew up there and went to YU. I actually uh, stopped in the five towns for a couple of years. I taught in Hafter um, on Central Avenue. Um, let's see. I did that for two years, and we decided to uh, to make Aliyah. Um, when we moved to Israel, I went to law school here in Israel. I went to Hebrew University. They have a uh, an exceptional law school, so thank God that was... Uh, that was a good experience, and from there it was a natural fit to come and work uh, with uh, Israeli high tech. Uh, but it's not only high tech; we do a lot of um, high tech and, and um, clean tech and uh, biotech. Um, our our firm has done over the last, let's say, just two months or so, we've done um, three or four different transactions of of just biotech of publicly traded companies. Um, so it was natural simply because a lot of the work is in English. Um, so, you know, you're certainly working with an advantage. Um, and, uh, and it's, it's a great, it's a great area to be in. Um, you know, it's really exciting. It's really, uh, hap- happening or toses, as they'd say here, you know, kind of bubbly. And, uh, it's, uh, you know, we, we get, we get to work with great people. And uh, thank God, we're we're certainly very happy here. See, there's one problem with knowing a guest quite as well as I do. I think you missed out on a critical part of your bio in terms of, you know, sort of how you became so successful in Israel was critical. I remember, you know, going to Yeshiva with you at Yeshiva University. Yeah, I don't know. We can, uh, yeah. What, what, what's that? Isn't it great to have an interviewer who fills in the blanks like that? that that's fun, fabulous. With uh, thank you, Michael. That uh, that Ariel. I remember one year showing up to to Yeshiva University, expecting you to be there, and discover that you had joined Sahal. Oh yeah, yeah. So that that uh, that was certainly an experience that helped me in terms of uh, first of all, in terms of integrating into um, Israel and Israeli society, but also in terms of kind of getting a leg up on on learning Hebrew. Uh, you know, when I when I say that that you have an advantage as an American or as an English speaker because a lot of the work that we do is in English, um, you know, at the same time, and you know, anybody would know from any sort of work environment, if you don't speak the language that everyone's speaking, so, you know, you, you're going to be an outsider. Um, and so, you know, certainly learning Hebrew was, was one of the best investments that I made. Uh, you know, and it was certainly um, a good experience to have joined Sal and to have been able to, to do that. It was certainly at a, a very critical time. It was during, uh, you know, when you say it now, it seems like it's so long ago. It was during uh, Chomat Magen uh, in 2002, um, you know, right, uh, right at the height, I guess, of... Uh, of the uh, intifada, the most recent intifada, and um, you know, so I was able to to join Tzal and to to volunteer then as a as a non-citizen. I came back a little bit later uh, when I came to Israel later as a as a citizen. Now, you mentioned the language being a you know a, a great equalizer on both sides because I think it's important that uh, that uh, if your English isn't what your English is, which is obviously phenomenal, and your Hebrew isn't what your Hebrew is, uh, you'd be at a major loss. Did Tzal? Provide you with what I would call street credibility amongst, uh, you know, your Israeli, or or it's or it's a given. It, it what wasn't necessary. It wasn't a prerequisite. Uh, so it certainly did. Um, it's a good question because you know it's not like we sit around uh, in, in you know in, in business meetings and discuss you know what kind of tank you drove or what kind of plane you jumped out of you know ten twenty years ago. Uh, but at the same time. Uh, I think you're absolutely right when you call it uh, street cred. That, uh, that yeah, there's there's a difference if you've been a part of things and or if you haven't. Uh, look, it's not to say that you can't be a part of things. Uh, obviously, there are a lot of people who are 
huge part of things here who, for one reason or another, you know, very often because they came later in life, didn't uh, didn't do Tzahal. But, you know, they've got their kids here and uh, kids doing Tzahal and are certainly contributing to Israeli society in a number of other ways. So, uh, but, but it's certainly one thing that uh, that can be done in order to in order to really join the ranks of, uh, of you know, the, the Israeli, Israeli society. Yeah, I mention that mostly because, you know, the, the book Startup Nation, which is sort of the Bible of discussing Israeli startups, uh, you know, they, they mention that so much of it comes from the army camaraderie or the army common experience. And, and here you are as an attorney that serves as the bridge in between many of the startups and what we'll call going public and the money in America. And, and so I was curious if even at that point in time the army does – lend to the street credibility, and it certainly sounds like it, it does to a to a significant degree, or at least to a degree. For sure. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm still, you know, starting out on my way. I'm only a third-year attorney over there, um, over here, you know, doing doing the work of a third-year attorney. The only clients that I brought in, let's say, and, and that I've done work for my own clients have been from from the army, you know, uh, guys who got together afterwards, even even groups of guys from the army. So you certainly create very strong bonds, um, very strong bonds with the land and with uh, and with the people, and those bonds definitely follow follow you uh, for for a very long time. So, you know, if you can give us a macro view, you spoke about biotech. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned at the very beginning of the show that there have been several articles out uh, about uh, agritech. I think they're calling it with the agriculture, which was interesting because when you immediately started talking about Shalvim, you mentioned that the, the the world economy has changed, or the Israel economy has changed from being agricultural in nature to, to certainly involving tech. You know, the firm that you're at certainly, I think, sees to a degree where the trends are going. If you were to highlight one or two industries that you think sort of the next is coming from in Israel? Where would you think that might be? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, certainly everybody points to, you know, towards the high tech. And, you know, the truth is as a lawyer rather than a high techist, you know, for the most part we take what uh, we take what comes and we're not as involved with with creating the trends. You know, that said, we definitely have to understand the technologies and we have to understand what's going on in order to best serve the clients. Um, right now, we are dealing with uh, a huge uh, agri-tech, uh, as you called it, uh, company. Um, we're involved in a, in a serious uh, transaction on that end. And at the same time, when we deal with high-tech, so a complete transaction can't be can't be accomplished without the proper licensing and without understanding exactly what's happening with the technology in order to in order to best um, set down on paper how how it's going to work so at the beginning of a transaction we will spend a lot of time we have technology people on staff um, we will spend a lot of time understanding exactly uh, exactly what's happening with the technology. Um, so for the most part, our firm um, has been doing, if I had to choose one uh, one area, and I certainly can't say that that's you know, where Israeli uh, technology is going, we have certainly focused on biotech, um, and there have been a, a number of transactions uh, recently that we've uh, that we've been involved in, you know, totaling in the in the billions of, of dollars. Um, but at the same time, we certainly don't forget about our other friends of high tech and clean tech. And re- like I said, now we're dealing with agri tech as well. Coming out, well, that's that, that's really interesting. W- with most of the attorneys in your firm, are most of them as bilingual as you are? No. no. Um, the our firm is actually a little bit different. Um, our firm is called uh, Gornitsky and Co. It was actually uh, established in 1937 in uh, in Lithuania by Mr. Gornitsky, who's uh, no longer with us. Um, and it's it's really a, a, a more I would describe it as a more Israeli firm even than you know you, there there are a number of firms in Israel that do specialize in cross border transactions. Um, and while we do have that specialization, um, it really uh, started as a firm that deals with um, Israeli taxes and litigation, and that's that's where that's where it's very very strong. 
And over the last 10 years or so, it's been building this international practice as well to, to, to supplement uh, what it already had on the Israeli side. So a lot, a lot of, the, of the firm is built towards servicing um, the Israeli cases, the litigation, the taxes. We do a lot of energy work, um, which, is, which also happens to be in English, but we are dealing a lot with um, a lot of the natural gas uh, that I'm sure your listeners read about. Uh, that's connected to Israel. So a lot of the financing that's coming for some for some of these very large projects are, is coming from overseas. Um, and so we're involved in a lot. Uh, we're, we're involved in a lot of the financing uh, on the financing end. We're involved a lot on the business end. Of course, you know it's not really high tech, so I suppose it's not uh, germane to the to the discussion, but it's uh, it's cross-border transactions and it's foreign banks and it's, uh, you know, international companies. So it's, and it's I, exciting. It's I, really exciting work and it's it's really doing an incredible job to, to build up the Israeli economy and uh, make the Israeli economy into a very, very strong player in the world. Yeah, I'm not positive that it's not high-tech. If I, if I can respectfully push back a little bit, you know... Uh, about midway through the show, commented on the fact that uh, the last night of Hanukkah, I believe that the, the land of Israel was blessed with, with the first major rain uh, of the season, snow on the Charmon, which, you know, I think is uh, brings a smile, hopefully, to all of us, because we know that the situation was getting desperate, and, and hopefully, as our listeners are listening either live or, or to this later on tape, that the rain has continued to come, uh, which is a very uh, non-high-tech uh, component of Israel. But the, the high-tech component, as I understand the natural gas boon, which has really occurred in the last not all that long, comes through new technologies in order to be able to both find and to harvest these uh, uh, large finds. Is that is that a fair assessment? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and a lot of it is coming from from foreign companies who are coming and lending the technology mm-hmm. um, to us. You know, the, the, the licenses will belong to Israeli companies to explore. Um, but for the most part, uh, not exclusively, uh, but for the most part, these Israeli companies will be partnering with companies from overseas that have the experience and that have the technology. And so that's really, I guess, another international player in this um, in this in this new field. You know, aside from the international banks and aside from the Israeli companies that are now going global, you'll have um, you'll have global companies coming in. And uh, and kind of directing the Israeli companies in terms of their natural gas finds. See how interesting is you know, that? These, that you... these companies, you can, I'm, I'm, I won't mention any specific names just because I, I don't know exactly what is uh, what's public information and what's not. But you know, with a simple Google search, you can sure. you can find you know very very well known companies who have come to to harvest some of the natural gas. How how interesting is that? And maybe that's also a Hanukkah miracle that. Uh... That uh, Israel has natural resources that relying on technology of uh, of others in order to be able to uh, to harvest. I'm sure it won't be long before uh, Israelis come up with a a more efficient, more effective, or certainly a different way to be able to harvest these natural resources. Um, you know, Ariel, we're on the, on the Nachum Siegel Network on JM and the AM NachumSiegel.com. This is Tech Talk with Ariel Leister and Michael Fragan. We're sponsored by Adorama.com. Our guest is. Ariel Davis calling from Israel, and we're very grateful for your time. If you can leave one message, and we only have maybe a minute, maybe a little bit less, uh, in terms of what it's like to be at this, I, I think, incredibly exciting geographic place, an incredibly exciting time, and what that what that is like for you, and maybe share a message for those of us who are maybe thinking in the back of our mind, uh, maybe we should be there, or maybe, you know, give give give, uh, give some words of, uh, of advice or a, a nice idea that we can close out the show with. You know, I, I, I haven't actually listened to the show yet. Now that I've heard about it, I'll, I'll be able to start uh, to start listening to you. But I assume that you give all the uh, all the encouragement uh, that, that that people need. That uh, you know, in terms of coming here, look, it's it's a wonderful, wonderful uh, place. Uh, you know, we can talk. We can talk till the end of the night about the technology and the job opportunities and, and the economy. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's an amazing place to raise my kids. You know, thank God. And uh, we're very, very happy to be here. You know, that, that book ends beautifully because I just got the new book by Yassi uh, Klein-Halevi, I think, if I remember the name correctly. And I believe in the, in the introduction to the book, 
jokes about the time pre-67 where it was, you know, the last one who leaves the country, turn the lights out. And uh, and the first part of the conversation right there, that you, as your closing message, you said, you know, ignore uh, <laughs> ignore the fact that the economy is great and that every, it's just a great place to raise your kids. And, and how awesome is that? At least for me personally, that book ends uh, a, a beautiful idea. Arya, we really appreciate it. You've been listening to Tech Talk with Arya Leitz and Michael Fragan, JM and the M, Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com. We are sponsored, as always, by Adorama Camera. You can go visit them. Uh, in the city, 42nd West, 18th Street, or Adorama.com. Thank you so much for listening to Tech Talk. Have a wonderful day.